Well, good morning again, everyone. If you're visiting or new with us, you might not know this story, but uh, recently PFC has gone through just a major journey. Um, this, uh, this year, three churches have merged together, three uh, churches that have walked closely together for many years. Uh, that is uh, Daybreak Community Church, North Point Community Church, and PFC um, have become uh, one new body. And that includes uh, staff and elders and uh, leaders from each of our com- congregations. Um, that's obviously a story that's much too long uh, for me to be able to tell uh, today. And so if you're new or visiting, ask me or, or Pastor Dave or Pastor Brandon uh, or one of our elders or anyone about that story. We can, we can tell you more about it. But uh, we've, we've kind of been in this uh, season, a, a definitional season of who are we as a body based on all of this change that we've gone through. So we just did uh, four weeks in the book of Antioch, and that wrapped up uh, last Sunday. Uh, Pastor Dave uh, taught on the generosity of the church of Antioch and that, that generous spirit that they had that we are called to embody. So Antioch for PFC um, is sort of our North Star. Not that they were a perfect church, um, but the, the word of the Lord through his spirit, through prayer, through discernment, um, has been that PFC is called to be a church that's sort of modeled and shaped like Antioch. And so we spent the last four weeks talking about what are some of the major characteristics of the church of Antioch. We learned that they uh, were a church that sent and received leaders. Um, There is no Apostle Paul without the church of Antioch. Like this is his school. Like Antioch is seminary. Uh, All that knowledge that he had acquired Uh, through his upbringing, where it becomes real for him, where he receives his mandate to be the apostle to the Gentiles, it happens in the context of Antioch. Isn't that awesome? Uh, That this church becomes sort of the launching, the birthplace of that that ministry that all of us know and and are recipients of today. Um, So it was a church that sent and received uh, leaders, including prophetic and apostolic leaders. It was a, it was a church uh, that was open to correction and a place where tension happened. And, uh, and so it was a place where people had some different views and they had to work it out. And Brandon did a great job. If you, didn't, if you weren't here for that week, I wasn't. I was uh, celebrating my dad's 60th birthday in Wisconsin, suffering for Jesus, uh, playing golf that morning. My, uh, <laughs> but Brandon uh, gave a, an amazing sermon on walking through, uh, through tension. And I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that, uh, especially if you weren't here. Um, and we learned that, that Antioch was a church, a, a generous church that, that gave, uh, not just out of abundance, but gave to the point where they felt it. They, they felt it. And uh, the example of them supporting the church in Jerusalem. And then Paul takes that message later in his ministry. And he says, you remember that thing that happened in Antioch where they gave to those in need? Let's do it again. But this time, let's include Corinth and Ephesus, and Colossae, and all of these other churches. And so it's amazing what God birthed in, in that church. Again, not a perfect church, a church that had struggles, um, but it's sort of our North Star. And so when we think about who are we supposed to be as a people, uh, PFC Antioch is a picture for us. Today we're launching into uh, a new series called We Are. It's football season, so some of you recognize that from Penn State. Look at your neighbor and say, We Are. Some of you are groaning because you're Ohio State fans or 
Michigan fans or, or whatever. But uh, we are, and in this series, in the next month and a half, up until Advent, we're going to be walking through, sort of definitionally, who are we as a people? And so we're going to be talking about our purpose, our mission, our vision, our values, our distinctives, the things that make us who we are. This morning, we're talking about our purpose. And so this week, as I was preparing for this morning, I was looking and and meditating and soaking in different scriptures that talk about purpose, God's purpose for us as a people, God's purpose for us as individuals. And this was one of the one of the psalms I spent time in this week, and I thought we'd start here. And so in this place of worship where we've been focused on the saving grace of Jesus, where we've been singing and seeking to glorify God, speaking about his goodness, remembering how good he is. Join me in joining David in this ancient, ancient prayer. This is a prayer that people of God have been praying that predates Christ. And so the Jewish people prayed this prayer as part of their liturgy, part of their rhythm as they walked through a spiritual life. And Christians for the last 2,000 plus years have also prayed this prayer. Notice when David writes this song. He writes it according to the tune of Do Not Destroy, which just sounds like a heavy metal song, doesn't it? It's like a Metallica song. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a mictum. What's a mictum? Mictum's like a prayer. Uh, it's like a, a prayer that's sung. Uh, it's uh, a meditation so this a meditation of David. He wrote this before he was king. He was anointed as king, but he was not yet on the throne. When he fled from Saul in the cave, you know the story. The kids just learned about it recently in junior church. Uh, Saul goes in to the cave to what? Relieve himself. <laughs> and David, hiding in the back of the cave, is praying this prayer. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> So David, running for his life, maybe questioning his purpose. Like, why? This is not, when, when Samuel came, I didn't ask for Samuel to come. <laughs> First of all, let's be clear. I didn't ask for this. But when Samuel came, and he went through my brothers, and no, that one's not to be the anointed one. No, not that one, not that one, not that one. And finally, my father called me from serving the sheep, where I was just the lowliest of brothers, serving. Nobody knew me. And he called me there and he pours out the oil and he anoints me to be the leader of God's people. I just imagine David in this moment running for his life from his father-in-law, the man who should love him, who should be setting him up for success. Some of his best friends who he's fought with are with Saul coming against him. And he's in the back of this cave and he's like, how did my life get here? Have you ever had that moment before where you've been in the back of a proverbial cave thinking about where things were so good once and where they are today and just sort of saying, how did it come to this? And he prays this prayer. In this moment of isolation and pain and probably fear, he says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. 
I need Saul to be merciful to me, but I actually don't need Saul to be merciful to me. Because there's one who's behind and underneath and over Saul. And he's the one that I need to show me mercy. So God, be merciful to me. For my soul takes refuge in you. In the shadow of your wings, I'm finding refuge in this cave. I'm hidden. My breath is hushed. My light is dimmed. Nobody can see me or hear me. I'm, I'm tucked in, but it's actually in the shadow of your wings, in your presence, where I only find true refuge. Until the storms of destruction, you just see the horde of Saul's men passing by. Until the storms of destruction pass by, I'm taking refuge, not in this cave ultimately, but in the shadow of God's wing. I cry out, to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. It's these moments, I think the mountaintop experience, it's much easier for us to be like, yeah, I was created for a reason. I have a purpose. I'm kicking butt. Let's go. But what about in these moments when like it's all gone wrong and nothing's gone according to plan? And we've been abandoned or hurt by the very ones we most love. And we're isolated in the back of a cave, hiding to pray this prayer. God, you still fulfill your purpose for me. You still fulfill your purpose for me. God has a purpose for me. He's got a purpose for you. He has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for us. We exist for a reason. Each week throughout this series, we're going to be speaking out loud to one another and with one another. We are statements related to the morning's topic. So this morning, we're talking about our purpose, our reason for existing as a local church. So would you say this out loud with me? Let's read it together. We are created to know God and show God. Let's say it again. We are created to know God and show God. For those of you who came to PFC 101 this morning during the Sunday school hour, we just spent an hour talking about our purpose as a church in a more conversational manner. Uh, this is what I'm going to be talking about this morning, that we were created as people, we were created as individuals, we were created as a body of Christ to know God and to Show God. This is our purpose as a congregation. So if you have your uh, PFC 101 booklet or you go onto our website or uh, you look at our materials, uh, PFC exists for this reason that we would know God and that we would show God. So let's say it again together. We are created to know God and show God. Other ways of saying it would be this. We exist to reveal God's nature and delight in his presence. We exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We exist to know God and make him known. Uh, Tim is the one who I remember first saying this statement, know God and show God. And I stole that uh, phrase from him years ago. And so when we walk up to the school bus in the morning, coach, what do we say? I say, know him. And you say, show. know him. And you say, show him. So let's do that. Know him and show. that's why we exist. We exist to know him, know him intimately as a son knows his father, 
and we exist to show him, to express his love and reveal his love to the world. Knowing the why, the reason, is a big deal. Knowing the why we do things, knowing the reason why we exist is a big, big deal. Why do I get up in the morning? Why do I follow Jesus? Why does my life have meaning? When we're talking about purpose, we're trying to answer these questions. Our culture is in a state of just absolute existential crisis right now. Uh, where there is no ultimate purpose. There is no ultimate reason. It's just materialism. It's just matter floating in space. And so the best ethic that you can get out of an existence that just is what it is, just material existence floating in space, the best ethic that you can really come up with is do as little harm as possible. And that, that is the world's uh, deepest ethic right now when it comes to Western culture. Well, if it's okay for me, as long as it doesn't hurt you, then it's permissible. Have you heard those sorts of phrases? Well, it's not hurting anybody. Like, what, is it, what does it matter to you what I do in my bed? Or what does it matter to you what I drink or eat or smoke or intake? And so this has become the highest ethic of, of modern Western culture. Do as little harm. But it's so subjective. Because who's defining what is hurtful? Who's giving definition to what is harmful? Where does that definition or that source or that authority even come from? It's all just vacuous. It's all just meaningless. It's all just feeling out in the dark and trying to arrive at the point where we're happy. And maybe I can wake up and get through this day without feeling totally, utterly pointless and depressed. Knowing why is a big deal. Knowing why leads to the what. It leads to how. And what matters? So many times we try to live out the what's of life without understanding the why. So many of us uh, in here, not all of us, but many of us grew up in the church. And we had to reach a point in our lives where we asked the question, why am I doing this? Am I just doing this because it's what my mom and dad did? Am I just doing this because it's what I've always done? We can't answer that question until we've gone back a step and said, why? Why does this exist? Why do we do this? Why do we follow Jesus? Is it just a, a, an inheritance in my family lineage? Or have I actually met and known and experienced the living God? What is your why? Why are you? Take a moment and think about that. And I want you to think about it on like an existential level, like on a meta level, on, a, on like the deepest level that you can get to. Why? Why are you? Is there an answer to that or are you just the result of biology? Of male and female coming together because they had male and female urges. Why are you? Does it scare you to ask that question? <laughs> do you ask that question in the darkness of the night when you can't sleep? I do. Why? Why am I here? <laughs> we had a sleepover this week. My daughter had a sleepover with a, na a neighbor. And uh, 
she, we were having some sort of conversation and she goes, she's eight years old and she goes, do you ever just ask why? She had no idea. Like this was yesterday at, at, at our, at our lunch table. Do you ever just ask why? And she's like eight years old thinking about why, why am I, why do I exist? What is it like to live when you don't know the why? Have any of you, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, have, you, have any of you gone through a season of life where you were living without knowing the why? And what was your life like during that period? Without purpose, life is meaningless. Without a why, it's just pain. It's just getting through the day as best I can. I didn't ask for this life. Maybe I don't want this life. I didn't ask for the situations I was born into. Unless we can really ask this why question and, and understand purpose, it's meaningless. The Bible wrestles with this pretty deeply. In fact, there's an entire book given to this question. Do you know what it is? What book exists to wrestle through this question? Ecclesiastes, 12 chapters of someone going through deep existential crisis. Ecclesiastes 1 starts with this. These are the opening words to this inspired book by the Holy Spirit. The words of the teacher, son of David. So it's sort of in, in the same like, realm as like uh, Song of Solomon, where it's attested to a son of David. Whether or not Solomon wrote this, we don't know. But it's attested to the lineage of David. A son of David, someone who's existing in his line. And it says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, maybe Solomon himself. <laughs> Looking around, he's got everything. All the power, all the authority, all the dominion that a human could ever have. And much more. And he looks around and he says, meaningless. Meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This could be put to the tune of Metallica, Do Not Destroy, couldn't it? Another heavy metal song from the Old Testament for us this morning. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors? You run around working your butt off. And what do you gain? Generations come, generations go. It's the same thing as it was before. We get shocked by stuff that's happening in culture today. Guess what, church? Babylon is going to Babylon. Rome is going to Rome. It's what the world does. The sun rises, the sun sets. And hurries back to where it rises. The, wind, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes. Ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. What a, what a poetic line. Wow. All the streams flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. To the place streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. It's all exhausting. More than I can even say. I'm so tired by all of this, I can't even put it into words. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear of its, uh, ear its fill of hearing. If, if, if this is Solomon writing this, and what you, we know that his major, major thorn is lust. And you can kind of hear this gut-wrenching cry like, it's never enough. The eye never, it never satisfies. 
It's never good enough. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which we can say, look, this is something new? No, it was here already. A long, long time ago. It was here before you or I ever existed. No one remembers the former generations. I'm sure there's some folks in here with gray hair, or maybe they've already lost their gray hair, who would be like, yeah, nobody remembers. How far back can you remember in your own family line? Can you remember your great-grandparents' names? Can you remember their parents' names? Your great-great. Great-grandparents is where it stops, I think, for most of us. You know how quick that is in the scheme of history? We can't remember our great-great-grandparents' names. No one remembers the former generations. And guess what? It's going to be the same for you. Your great-great-grandkids won't remember your name either. (laughs) I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all these things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless at chasing after the wind. Uh, Ecclesiastes goes on to say this, that the endless pursuit of wisdom is meaningless. That pleasures are meaningless. That trying to discern between wisdom and folly is meaningless. That toil is meaningless. That seeking personal advancement is meaningless. That riches are meaningless. That trying to outrun death is impossible and therefore meaningless. Wow, what a book. What a book. But this is so important for us. And that's what I want to bring us to this place. We're, you came here, I'm sure some of you showed up this morning desiring to be encouraged. And I, and I want to encourage you. But I want to bring us to a point of honesty because we can't actually receive the encouragement of Christ until we've realized how much we need it. I'm going to say that again. You cannot actually receive the encouragement that Jesus wants to give you until you recognize how much you need it. This is how the whole book ends. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. This may seem depressing, but there's actually just so much joy And so much goodness that's baked into this. At the end of the day, chasing after things of the earth. At the end of the day, chasing after relationships, power, sex, money. Chasing after all of these things will let you down. You will be as empty as the day you were born. As needy as the moment you came into this existence. And so this is the invitation. Fear God. And live a life of obedience because it's the duty, it's the purpose of all mankind. All right, I want to take this and then give it some joy. And I want us to drink deeply because life is not meaningless. It's not purposeless. And this is not the final word in the scriptures. It's a conversation that's a part of a larger conversation in the scriptures. And thank God That someone who's struggling with depression or anxiety can go to the scriptures and see that, wow, there is room for me here. There is room for me to ask these questions. There's room for me to ache and hurt and ask God why. So what gives life purpose and meaning? Life has meaning and purpose because there is a personal, knowable God who has created us in his image and he has imbued or filled or infused us 
with infinite value. There is purpose and meaning to life because God is telling a marvelous story and has included us as characters in his story. You know why we have infinite value? Do you feel like you have infinite value? And what what does that mean when we wrestle through that? What did God give in order to bring you in? That which is of infinite value, his son. That which is measureless, he who is immeasurable in his beauty and power, laid down his life, imparting to you in him the value that he has to the Father. And so we are not of infinite value because we're of infinite value in and of ourselves. We're dust and to dust will return. And we're sinful and we're broken. And yet Christ laid down his life for you and I and brought us into the family so we can look at one another and say, you are the son, you are the daughter, you are the child, you are the temple of the living God. And so your life has value. Not just value, it has the value of Christ living in you. You've been crucified with Christ if you're in Christ. It's him living in you. (laughs) And you take on his value in him. There's purpose and meaning to life because God is telling a marvelous story and has included us as characters in his story. Um, The stories we believe and the stories we tell ourselves shape everything about our lives. The story you believe about yourself, the story you believe that God is telling, the story you believe about the cosmos, the purpose of all of this will give shape to every decision you make. So what is the story that you are a part of? And what is the story that you're telling? And what is the story that you're listening to? All of this is in our purpose. Anybody who know who this is? All right, come on. One of our kids knows who this is, right? Do any of our kids know? It's a person, says Asher. Janelle, do you know who this is? No? Oh, man, I was wrong. I thought you guys would know uh, know who this is. This is Wojak. Everybody say hi, Wojak. Wojak is an internet meme that's been going around. Um, and uh, so this is from the Wikipedia page. On October uh, 2018, a Wojak, this is just this uh, weird stick drawing that someone in Poland did in 2016, and it sort of represented a mindless uh, soldier, or like someone without their own brain, and then uh, it came to have a new meaning recently. So in 2018, a Wojak with a gray face, pointy nose, and blank expressionless facial expression dubbed NPC Wojak became a popular visual representation for people who supposedly cannot think for themselves or make their own decisions, comparing them to non-player characters computer-automated characters within a video game. Now, kids, you definitely know what an NPC is, right? What's an NPC? Reagan, you're the one who taught me this, I think, a while back. Or Janelle. No, Janelle's saying, I taught you that. (laughs) I'm the one who taught you that. Janelle, what's an NPC? Yeah, what kids say? So someone who follows and just does what everyone else does and doesn't have their own personality. 
That's an NPC. So an NPC is sort of like an insult that kids will say to one another, you're an NPC, meaning you can't think for yourselves or your life has no meaning. And the reason why this is used as an insult is because in video games, when you play video games, there's usually background characters who are non-playable. So they're just people who aren't really in existence. They just exist to fill a screen. And so there was a movie made about this recently. Do you know what the movie was? Anybody know what the movie was? Yeah. Free Guy. And if you've heard of this movie, Free Guy, it's the story of a non-playable character, an NPC, a faceless, pointless life in the midst of a computer program that just exists, who all of a sudden starts to have his own thoughts and, and comes to life. It's a pretty, pretty interesting movie, actually. Uh, it's actually a pretty good movie that wrestles with some of these concepts. All right. I lost some of you. I lost all of you. Did I keep two of you? All right, I kept two of you. All right. We use, I, I wanted to use this illustration because we use lots of illustrations that our kids are like, what are you talking about? Like TV shows or like whatever that are like, I, I've never seen that. Like, what are you talking about? Um, you're not an NPC. All right, when we're talking about life having purpose, life having meaning, you're not a non-playable character. You are a son, you're a daughter of the King of Kings. We, we've all heard and we've all known that suicide rates are just skyrocketing right now. Why? Why? Why is suicide skyrocketing? It's meaningless. Meaningless. It's all meaningless. It's all pointless, unless, unless, unless we can believe, unless we come to meet the living God who has filled your life with value and filled your life with purpose. You are a son or daughter of the King of Kings. You are a character. Remember what I said about the story? There's purpose and meaning to life because God is telling a marvelous story, and you are a character in that story. You have meaning. You have purpose. You are a character with purpose, value, and plotline. And that's not just you. That's us. We are characters. PFC exists. Our church family has character. It has purpose. It has value. It has a plotline that God is weaving into the masterpiece story that he's telling. And it, yes, it's a small piece tucked away in southeast Pennsylvania. But it's also a really valuable, important piece that Christ died for and came to include us in. And he sought us out while we were far away. And he told us we're sons and daughters. We spent this morning in our PFC 101 class starting in Ephesians 1 where it says what our purpose is. It says our purpose is that we've been adopted according to his will as sons and daughters of God. This is our purpose to live as sons and daughters. So what gives life purpose and meaning? This is how the Westminster Catechism answers this, and it's, it's what we need to hear. This is what we need to hear. So I'm going to ask the question, and then you're going to give the answer. Okay, church? Can we do that? All right, I'm going to give the, the, the question, and you give the answer. What is... 
and let me read it twice because I'm going to change the language. What is the chief end or purpose of man? And that's just a fancy way of saying, and then you give the answer, why do we exist? Go ahead. All right, that sounded like a bunch of NPCs uh, reading. So let's try that again. You are not an NPC. You are a playable character. You have your own voice. Man's chief end is to glorify God. All right, let's do this again. I'll read it. You answer. All right, here we go. What is the chief end and purpose of your life? Well done. You exist. I exist. We exist to glorify God. And to the second part is so important to enjoy God forever. You exist to enjoy God forever. That's why God created you. He created you that you might have enjoyment. It's not just that he wants you to fear him in a life of groveling at his feet. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fear isn't just being terrified. Fear is loving. Fear is adoring. Fear is giving glory to God. Fear is obeying him. And when we fear him, when we love him, when we adore him, when we know him, when we see him as he truly is, we taste and see that he is good. And we learn to enjoy him forever. So in the middle of the night, when I'm looking at my life and I'm saying, why? Why God? Why all this pain? Why all this loneliness? Why all this suffering? Why all these hard things? I created you because I love you. I created you to give me glory and I created you to enjoy me. That is how the Spirit of God answers your existential crisis. And that is a good answer. That is a good answer. The purpose of your life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Just give a quick illustration. My favorite movie, some of you have heard this, but we're a new church, so a lot of you haven't heard this before. My favorite movie is Chariots of Fire. These are the two men who are in this movie. Uh, This one on the left, anybody know who that is? Whoops. It's a Scottish missionary, Eric Little. Uh, Eric Little was a Presbyterian uh, minister and would have grown up giving confession to this. That the purpose of my life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, This is Harold Abrahams. He was a Jewish man born in Great Britain uh, in the early 20th century. And the movie is about these two men running in the Olympics. And the movie is a, a movie that asks the question, why? Why do we exist? And why do we do what we do based on our reason for existing? And the movie gives two very different answers. He exists. uh, This man uh, lived in a prejudicial society where there was a a lot of anti-Semite, a lot of anti-Jewish. So his whole life he was fighting to be recognized, fighting to be valued. And so he says, he literally says in the story, I don't enjoy running. The reason I run is to prove that I have value. It's, It's an obsession It's a need for me to prove that I am worth something. And so he became one of the fastest men on earth to prove to the watching world that even though he was a Jewish man, he had value. How many of us live our lives like that? The other, Eric Little, there's this amazing, it's my favorite favorite line from any movie, any story, any book. My favorite line, he's talking to his sister. His sister's like, you're supposed to be a missionary in China. And he's like, I know. She's like, then why are you running? Why are you wasting your time running? 
Do you, do, you know what he, do you remember what he says, those of you who have seen the movie? He says, because when I run, I feel God's pleasure on me. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is not to run that we might earn God's favor. The chief end of man is that out of an overflow of God's love, we might give him glory and enjoy him forever. What is that for you? What is that for you? When you blank, you feel God's pleasure. What is that for you? When you listen to music, when you spend time with loved ones, what is the answer to that for you? When I, I feel God's pleasure. For me, I relate to the story so deeply, partly because when I play soccer, when I run, when I play music, when I spend time with my kids building Legos, I feel God's pleasure and I'm fulfilling my purpose, giving God glory and enjoying him forever. The purpose of your life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we exist as a people for the same reason. PFC exists to glorify God and enjoy him forever. PFC exists to know God and show God. First Peter 2, 9, here it is. You are a chosen people, which means you know him. You're a royal priesthood, which means he knows you. You're a holy nation, which means you have a purpose and a name. You're God's possession, meaning that there's nothing that can take that away. He's going to keep you. It's his. May you know God. Why? Comma, that you may show God. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. PFC exists to know God and to show God. The why leads to the what. Next week, we're going to be talking about our mission, that we are a people who know God and show God, how do we show God? How do we know God? By being a people following Christ, up, in, and out. And so some questions I want to leave you with today from this teaching. Why are you who you are? What are you? <laughs> When's the last time you asked that question? What am I? Who are you a part of? What are you a part of? Who do you belong to? What is your life's purpose? God will fulfill his purpose for you. We're, um, I'm going to make an executive decision. Uh, we're going to uh, drop the last song. Is that okay? Because I want to end with, thank you team for your flexibility. I really appreciate it. I want to end with this examination. Tonight we're going into Love Feast. And um, we're going to sing a lot of songs at Love Feast. Love Feast includes four parts. Um, the first is an examination where we prepare our hearts to come to the table. Um, before the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. It includes a meal together, so the sanctuary is going to be cleared, and there'll be uh, 15 tables with 15 pots of soup on it. And we'll come and we'll eat the meal. It includes feet washing, uh, men with men, women with women, or families. Or if you want to come, please come, but aren't comfortable with feet washing, that's okay. You can stay in the sanctuary and stay at the table, and there'll be music going on during that time. And lastly, the fourth element after the examination, after the meal, after the feet washing, um, we come to the Lord's table and we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which is why we can say confidently that I have purpose because I've been bought for a price by the one who gives purpose. So historically, um, what PFC would do is they would have a worship service in the morning and then love feast in the evening. In recent years, we've had love feasts on Sunday mornings, but we just have too many people now, which is awesome. And so we're doing worship this morning 
uh, with our first part, the examination. So I just want to invite us in for four, three or four minutes into examining our hearts that we would be prepared to come and share this meal together this evening. So I just have a few pray- prayers for us to pray together. You can pray this in the quietness of your own heart. Father, prepare our hearts to take communion together this evening. Just invite the Holy Spirit to do that work. Father, prepare us. Holy Spirit, prepare us to come as a body and together take communion. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, I especially just would ask your spirit to speak these words in us that we would see, that you would see if there's any offensive way in us and then in pointing that out through your spirit that you would lead us into everlasting life, the way of Jesus. For personal reflection, do I have any unconfessed sins? Whether it's towards a brother or sister or towards my God, do I have any unconfessed sins? Am I living with any offense towards a sister or brother? If so, confess it to the Lord. Go to your brother or sister. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Holy Spirit, prepare my heart to come before your presence this evening. As I take the cup, help me to remember your sacrifice and shed blood. As I eat the bread, help me to remember your broken body. I have been made whole through your love and sacrifice. I am forgiven because of what you have done for me. Thank you, Jesus. Let me invite you to stand. We'll close our service with singing the doxology together.